Welcome to the Sporting Ones podcast. Um, an angry edition tonight because uh, it's the cricket podcast and uh, there's two reasons why I'm upset. The first one being that uh, my colleague and I tried to get out a cricket podcast earlier and for technical reasons it did not work and it did not upload. So very, very annoyed at that and uh, starting to look at other platforms that we can use other than the current one we're on. Um, the other reason why I'm angry is a few things. Uh, test selections, joint vice-captaincies, one-day international series, bowlers that are past it, and also Trevor Hones and Justin Langer in my sights as well. They are also making me angry. So welcome all to uh, this podcast, and it will be a ripping one. Unfortunately, um, like I said before, Hayden uh, and I tried earlier, and it was 40 minutes of pure gold, and it did not upload. So not happy about that, especially in the scorching summer heat of Adelaide. So my apologies, first of all, to Cameron Boyce, who in the last episode, uh, last podcast, uh, cricket podcast episode, I referred to him as playing for the Hobart Hurricanes. Of course, that was correct last season or the season before that, but uh, with all the player changes, he is now at the Renegades and doing a fine job there. Uh, got confused with the uh, West Indian uh, Clive Rose and Johan Botha. Uh, I'm sure they were uh, all separated at birth at some point. So my apologies there. First thing we're going to get to is the test lineup. And it's got a couple of surprises. And it's also got um, some not so much surprises. So Curtis Patterson on the back of his form in the Cricket 11 match with Twin Tons. And on a groundswell of support from the Australian public. Um, as well as the fact that his domestic season, he's averaging 47, and he was the best-performed Australian batsman on the last Australia A Tour. Um, he should have been in the mix originally and never was, but due to a uh, groundswell of support and, more importantly, um, runs against the in- incoming opposition, uh, he gets his spot. So he is making his test debut, along with Jai Richardson, who has been on the fringes, been on the South Af- on the ill-fated South African tour, um, as well as around the one-day squad, performed very, very well in the one-day series. He gets his chance as well. So two debutants. Uh, surprisingly, the kid prodigy, Will Pekoski, does not get his opportunity. He's been overlooked, he, despite the fact that he did make uh, runs in that second innings and also made... Um, he got a start in the first innings. Um, he's been overlooked. And Matthew Renshaw, well, he had to be overlooked because he's been horribly out of form. I don't know why he's been picked. It really just stuns me as to why he's been picked in the squad. Uh, averaging 19.9 at shield level, yet gets a call-up. Again, fails with the bat twice against Sri Lanka in the Cricket 11 match. He had to be overlooked. Surprisingly, though, Joe Burns, who is having an okay shield season, I won't say he's having a great shield season, he's been, um, he's got a call up despite the fact that he made hardly any runs against the Sri Lankan 11. Clearly a Queensland um, decision and maybe a bit of bias there. Uh, for Joe Burns because it seems to me he is pretty much the same as Sean Marsh. Keep going to that same well, keep getting the same result, and that's exactly what they've done. 
I'm not a massive fan of Joe Mearns. I think he's had a fair few chances. I don't think he needed another one, but they've given it to him. So he will open with Marcus Harris. So the actual side that's been named tonight by Tim Payne is Marcus Harris opening with Joe Burns. Kawaja shifts down to three. Lubbershug need a four. Travis Head to five. Curtis Patterson bats at six, which is a bit low considering he usually bats three or four. The reverse to uh, what they were telling Matthew Wade. But anyway, Tim Payne... Uh, captain and batting at seven as as usual. Pat Cummins at eight. Mitchell Stark at nine. Jai Richardson at ten. And Nathan Lyon at eleven. Peter Siddle has been given the twelfth man duties. And Bukowski and Renshaw have been overlooked. Perhaps they may, depending on the squad, depending on the turnaround, may get a couple of BBL games in between. The interesting one I would have had it slightly different. As would Hados. Um, we would have had uh, Harris and Kawaja opening. Um, I would have had Labashagne at three. Hados would have had Patterson at three. Um, I've got Patterson at four. He probably would have had Labashagne at four. I've got Travis Head at five, Pukowski at six, Payne at seven, Cummins, Stark, Richardson, Lyon pick themselves. And I probably would have had Joe Burns as the 12th man ahead of uh, Peter Siddle. But that's just myself. I think Joe Burns is a better uh, fielder than Siddle. That's just my own opinion. Um, so Hados would have had the same, with the exception of Patterson batting at three uh, and uh, Labashagne at four. Um, but if you pick a young 20-year-old 20, 20 in Wilpikowski, you have to play him. I, I don't get why he's not being played. It, it's it's an absolute mystery. Um, you get picked as a 20-year-old, you think you're going to make your debut, and then you're not. Maybe it's to get experience around the squad before the Ashes, perhaps. Maybe it, maybe it's that point of view, um, which could be an option. So the reason for Jai Richardson coming in is just before the series was announced, Josh Hazelwood um, succumbed to injury. Uh, hopefully he'll be right for the World Cup, but there's no guarantees on that. And so Jai Richardson gets his chance on the back of being around the fringes and also being around um, the one-day setup. He's definitely deserved his spot. His shield form's been outstanding. He took eight for 37 against the Redbacks. He's broken Nick Maddinson's arm. Uh, he's definitely got some pace and fire about him. That's not all to his um, string and, uh, strings and bows. He can, he can bowl well within himself, swing the ball. Um, he's a prodigious talent. It might just freshen up the bowling lineup a bit because that felt like it became a bit stale uh, towards the end of that test series. Maybe because of the amount of work they had to do because the batsmen didn't pull their weight. But for a while now, the bowling quartet have been a bit uh, bit under par and maybe it's due to the pressure of the batsmen not performing. Maybe, maybe they're just not doing the basics right either. Um, the other interesting issue, that, which has got my goat, joint vice-captains. I just don't understand it. Where are the days that you have one captain, one vice-captain? That's all you need, just one of each. Patrick Cummins has earned his stripes. He's been entrenched in the test setup for a while now. Travis Head is six tests in. I don't think he needs that pressure just yet, and he hasn't cemented his spot. So why are we putting the undue pressure on him? Why are we making him captain? Yeah, he might have captaincy material down the track, and clearly he's been a state captain, so there's obviously potential there. But I don't think he needs it right now. I think he needs to focus on his batting and focus on cementing his spot, and that's where it lies. So for mine, it is just 
a waste of time to have him as a joint vice captain, much like it did on Mitchell Marsh. Mitchell Marsh wasn't entrenched in the Australian lineup, and all of a sudden he was made joint vice captain with um, Josh Hazelwood. It didn't make sense. And I know Cummins and Head are replacing that, but you don't need to replace both of them. Just replace um, Hazelwood and Marsh with Cummins, and then if Cummins gets injured, touch what he doesn't, then you replace him with um, Travis Head. It's not rocket science, but clearly Trevor Hines likes to um, likes to think it is, and uh, yeah, not not too sure about that. So another thing is you've still got three guys around the traps that are performing very very well in all formats. Doesn't matter whether it's um, red ball, pink ball, white ball, they're seeing ball, hitting ball, bowling, bowling ball, bowling well. Um, First one's Matthew Wade. He is getting runs in all formats. Um, white ball, pink ball, red ball, down in Hobart, up in Adelaide, wherever you want to play, he's scoring runs. And it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense that Patterson would be batting at six when he normally bats three or four. Yet Wade comes in on a Tassie green top down in Bell Reeve. They're two or three out for not much at all. He's scoring runs for Tasmania. And yet he's told he needs to bat higher to get a spot on the side. I don't get it. It's mixed messages. And yet Justin Langer comes out and goes, I've been in that position. I just want to give him a hug. Well, no, Justin, you can change that. You can put your input in and you can pick him. Don't give him a hug. A hug's useless. It's just as useless as your... They've got to be averaging 30. No, Justin. They've got to be averaging more than that. They're going to be knocking down the door like Matthew Wade is. He's averaging 63, Justin. I just I, I just don't get it. Um, Marcus Stoinis. Everyone in Australia can see the talent that this guy possesses. Shane Warne is absolutely in love with him, and I can't blame him. He's bowling well. He's mixing it up. He's taking wickets. He's scoring runs. He's brilliant in the field. He's pretty much our best all-rounder, yet suddenly we've ditched the all-rounder obsession because we've got rid of Mitch Marsh, and yet Marcus Stoinis, despite all of that, can't get a gig. I sincerely hope he's in the conversation for the Ashes series because if he's not, it's an absolute travesty. And if he's still being punished for deciding to look after his dying father over playing in the Ashes, I'll tell you what, that is the, the most disgraceful act by the Australian Cricket Board that there has been. And there's been a few disgraceful acts, especially with Hines still in charge. Um, so, yes, as you can see, Hines and Langer are in my sights tonight. They, I'm not missing with them. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting series. You've got day-night cricket. I love the fact that of day-night uh, um, test matches. I think uh, it could revive test match cricket. I think it gives the ball a lot better chance um, than, say you normally would have the night session comes into it, the swing factor, certain bowlers thrive on it, certain batsmen thrive on it. Uh, funnily enough, Curtis Patterson is one of those batsmen. He loves the pink ball. So that's not only just his runs in down in um, Hobart for the Cricket Australia 11, uh, where he scored the twin tons, but also the fact that he has a brilliant record against the pink ball. And I think that's um, that's actually a really good decision. I think they've been smart with that. But he sh- like I said, he, if if they were going to pick him, they should have picked him initially. And clearly Burns and Renshaw were uh, favouritism for mine. Um, so one of my mates, 
uh, just moving on, I'll uh, come back after the break and just discuss uh, one of my mates, uh, James from Canberra, has um, questioned sort of the bowling, um, I guess the basics that we seem to be missing. We seem to be obsessed with pace. We seem to be obsessed with bounce, but we're forgetting the basics of swing and seam and all that movement. So uh, I'll discuss that after the break. Welcome back to the uh, Cricket Podcast with Rowan Hayes. Just Rowie tonight due to, once again, technical difficulties earlier. So I was just saying that um, my mate uh, James from Canberra, one of our um, loyal listeners, uh, we were having a discussion one night and he um, raised the fact that um, we're not really adhering to the basics of cricket, which is swing, seam, movement. And I have to agree with him. We've, we've gone for all-out pace and Stark hasn't really got any movement lately. Neither has Hazelwood. Cummins has been the exception, and he's been bowling really well. But other than that, we've moved away from the basics of bowling. And I, I did a little bit of research into this, and I looked at the top 10 bowlers in the world, and out of the top three, two of them rely on swing, late swing, movement, line and length. Simple basics of um, bowling that you should have been taught as you were developing, but clearly we seem to be missing the boat on that in favour of raw pace because of one Mitchell Johnson series, which was out of the box. But people forget he also got swing and movement in that, not just bounce, not just bouncing every English opponent out. And that was a shock tactic which worked once. But when you're expecting it, it backfires. Batsmen weighed on it. They used the pace to score runs, and it became... became, can become quite expensive. It's a reason why Mitchell Stark's economy rate uh, in the Test Series was around 3.4, uh, and yet Cummins was around 2. Uh, 2.95. So um, quite, a, quite a remarkable difference there, and that's why they used the pace of Mitchell Stark to score runs off him and break up his rhythm. And once you're scoring runs and consistently it doesn't allow for the bowlers to build pressure and take wickets. So the top three bowlers are Kagiso Rubato, who is a once-in-a-generation bowler. He is absolutely a freak. Bowls quick, bowls around that 145 to 150. Swing, seam, does it all. He's an absolute once-in-a-generation bowler, like your Alan Donalds, like your um, Glenn McGrath's, like your Curly Ambrose's. They only come along once in a blue moon. The other two, Jimmy Anderson and Vernon Philander. Vernon Philander is pretty much my favourite foreign bowler. That's probably the best way to put it. Favourite foreign bowler. He swings it. He seems it. He does not bowl quick. He bowls. His, his best deliveries are between 125 to 130, but he consistently gets wickets. He makes a mockery of our batting lineup. He loves playing Australia because we do not know how to play swing and seam. We just don't. And um, Jimmy Anderson's another. Jimmy Anderson, not so much in Australia, but Jimmy Anderson in England... Oh, he loves playing Australia because he knows he can move the ball around, nip it around, do what he needs to do. Doesn't need to hit anywhere near 140. Usually 135, 130 to 135 is where Jimmy Anderson gets his wickets. And that really just says it all. You don't need to be bowling 150 Ks an hour to take wickets. It Cricket isn't isn't like that. So Patrick Cummins was at number four. Uh, Jadeja, the spinner from India, number five. Number six, another bowler who loved playing against us very recently was Muhammad Abbas for Pakistan. 
very, very similar to uh, Vernon Philander from South Africa. Swings it. He made a mockery of our batting lineup in uh, Pac- in the UAE for Pakistan. It wasn't the spinners that took care of us. It was Muhammad Abbas. He was just brilliant. And again, it's that line length, getting it in the right spots, getting it to swing and move. And that's what undoes batsmen, especially these days with T20 cricket. We, we're not patient. There, there's no batsmen that are patient these days. And that's the problem with our lineup. And maybe it is the big bash era. Maybe that's what we've become accustomed to. And that's um, why Curtis Patterson was such a good inclusion for the test side is because he bats time. He doesn't. He's not a T20 player. He bats time. He's patient. He makes runs, but he bats time, which is what we need. We need stability out there in the middle and someone to chew up balls just, just so we can just score some runs and just get some stability and some partnerships happening. Ravi Ashman was number, uh, sorry, Trent Bolt, number seven. Again, another one who swings it prodigiously. Uh, left armor, but can hit up to 140? Can hit up to 145 at times, but generally he takes his wickets in that 130 to 140 bracket. Tim Southie, much like Glenn McGrath, uh, that height, that swing, that bounce, but also using the seam um, to get wickets as well. Uh, Ravi Ashman was number nine, and Jason Holder, much like Southie, number 10. Now, I've had a look at it as well. So those were the top 10 bowlers, which I thought was quite interesting because there's no sign of Mitchell Stark there. Um, and it's generally bowlers that just are consistent with their lines and lengths, hitting the wickets, because it's one thing other than Patrick Cummins we didn't do. We were bowling more a five, fifth, sixth stump line or too much on leg stump. There wasn't that, that um, third to fourth stump line or that second stump line. It's why Jai Richardson had such a good... Um, good outcome against Virat Kohli, and that's what has sort of got him in, is he bowled that sort of third four-stump line, and it forced um, Virat Kohli to to play and make mistakes. He is human, people. Um, He's one of the uh, greatest batsmen of our generation, but he's also human, and Jai Richardson managed to to stitch him up every time, so he bowled really, really well. Um, I've looked at the best Aussie lineups, and you've got to look at in years gone past, now, Mitchell Johnson averaged 28 with the ball. Brett Lee averaged 30. They went for runs, and that's why their average was high. And it's also because they bowled so quick. The best bowlers were Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie. Again, that seam, that movement. Um, Damien Fleming was very good with that. Craig McDermott as well. He used to swing it a lot. Uh, he was one of my favorites growing up. Stewie Clark was pretty much a McGrath clone, averaged 23. Ryan Harris was an absolute freak. Again, averaged 23, but swung the ball. And got movement off the pitch, line and length, just simple stuff. Um, and then you had guys like Rifle as well, Kasperwitz, Bickle, um, Hilfenhaus, guys that just used to probe away. And even guys in the Shield that couldn't get a game were the same, like David Saker, who is our bowling coach now. So I'm hoping that maybe he's had time to try and turn it around a bit. And Wayne Holdsworth, they all used to swing the ball and used to be able to move it off the seam and bowl great line and length. And unfortunately, our bowlers got it completely wrong in the Indian series. But maybe they felt too much pressure. Maybe they were trying too hard. Maybe I need to cut them some slack. Um, so I looked into it further and I went to fast bowlers over 350 wickets. And you look at these names, Mackay and Teeny, Ian Botham, Courtney Walsh, Glenn McGrath, Sean Pollock, Jimmy Anderson, Richard Hadley, Dennis Lilly, Malcolm Marshall, Stuart Broad, Wazim Akram, Kapil Deb. Kirtley Ambrose, Chaminda Vaz, Imran Khan, Wakar Yunus. The majority, the absolute majority of those 
rely on swing, movement, line and length, all of the basics that require you to get wickets. And they did all of that. So I think it all comes down to coaching, development, and getting back to the basics of bowling. Chad Sayers is pretty much our Vernon Philander. But he's not going to, I don't think due to his injury, he's going to get a chance to show his wear in, wears in the ashes, which is really, really disappointing uh, because he would have been nailed on for an ashes spot a year or so ago. So probably the best bowlers that would thrive in those conditions outside of what we've got right now, you're looking at um, James Pattinson. But <laughs> the one concern with James Pattinson is his body holding up. And again, he's got another injury, which has ruled him out of the big bash. So you'd have to think he's unlikely. An absolute smoky would be Dan Worrell. Bowling a bit quicker, getting in between that 135 to 140 mark. But he's swinging the ball and he's swinging it both ways. So... And he's had a very, very, very good start to the Shield season. But much like Pattinson, needs to be fit. Otherwise, both are liabilities if you go into a, fight, into a uh, test match with them both. So that, that's an interesting look at sort of um, a interactive question um, that we had. And, uh, yeah, it's um, definitely opened my eyes up a bit. And even Siddle back in the day was a bit like that. He could uh, move it, nip it off the seam, swing it a bit, wasn't exactly express pace, did his job, and that's why he got 200-odd test wickets and a uh, Ashes hat-trick. Unfortunately for mine, he's, uh, he's been a warrior, but um, his time, we really need to do away with Peter Siddle right now. And that's another topic I'll come back with after the break. Uh, with a couple of bowlers that are performing well in the shield that, should really be um, taking his spot and also a review of the one-day series and a look at the Big Bash as well as a um, topic uh, from a one of our listeners in Anthony um, or Antony. Sorry if I got that wrong. And just about the youth coming through, maybe perhaps with some 2020 vision, uh, pardon the pun, uh, but looking ahead to the next couple of years and what players are coming through. So I'll speak to you after the break. Welcome back to the Sporting Ones podcast. Now, uh, just before the break, I was discussing uh, Peter Siddle, and I still don't know how he's got a test spot. There's four bowlers in Sheffield Shield for Victoria. There's three bowlers ahead of him. Chris Tremaine, who's been the leading Shield wicket-taker last season and over the last couple of years, who was in the initial test squad, who has been discarded for unknown reasons. Uh, Scott Boland has been bowling incredibly well and one of the leading shield wicket-takers, and again, ahead of Siddle. And then there's Johnny Holland, who's the probably the backup spinner to Nathan Lyon now, ahead of Stephen O'Keefe. Even he has got more wickets than Siddle. So I'm wondering why Siddle was actually selected. And again, it, it makes me feel like it's a bit like a Shaw Marsh selection. They're really only picking him on his experience and they still need that, so that's why he's still around. Don't get me wrong. Peter Siddle was an absolute warrior and he was a great bowler back in the day. I'm not so sure that he's got it anymore. I'll never forget the fact that he bowled 50 over straight in Adelaide in searing heat. Well, not straight, but pretty much consecutively because all of our other fast bowlers were injured. Uh... 
and if not from a mammoth effort by Faf Duplessis, which brought to light his test career and started his test career in uh, back, oh, I think it was 2009-10 or 2011, um, a mammoth nine-hour innings, which is what we need at the moment, uh, where he got 110 in Adelaide, which literally drew that test match and won the South Africa the series because if Australia had won that, they would have won. I'll never forget that by Siddle. It was a remarkable effort. But at the moment, he shouldn't be in our top seven or eight test bowlers. It's it's It boggles the mind why he's still around the lineup. And especially when you've got the likes of Tremaine, you've got Copeland, you've got Worrell, you've got Pattinson, you've got Jai Richardson, you've got uh, Coulter-Noe, you've got Berendorf. There's so many bowlers that could be ahead of him. Even Michael Neeser as an all-rounder could be ahead of him. Uh, Brennan Doggett's been on the scene. There's so many bowlers that even even one of my least favourite bowlers I would put ahead of Siddle, and that's Jackson Bird. And that's big for me to say that because anyone who knows me knows I am not a Jackson Bird fan. I think he gives 110% Jackson Bird, but um i don't know somewhere along the line after his first couple of tests where he bowled outstandingly well he never regained that form and he never has um but i would still have him ahead of siddle so as much as i love the fact that siddle's a toiler i'm not sure he's the way forward um which brings me to review the odi series and there were some hits and there were some misses we played extremely well in the one day international in sydney which won us the game, despite Rohit Sharma's uh, heroics of the 143, which I thought, he, though he was almost going to win the game single-handedly, uh, along with Dhoni, who was able, who he uh, ably supported um, Sharma with another 50-odd. But it wasn't enough. But we bowled extremely well. Jai Richardson was a big part of that. And it's a reason why we won. Then in Adelaide, Shaw Marsh played a brilliant innings, probably one of the best one-day innings you'll ever see. And it's why I think he's one of the first picked in one-day cricket. He is a shot maker. He is, um, he does play it extremely well, the one-day form. And he does average over 40 as opposed to less than 35 in tests. So it makes sense to keep on picking him. That was all in vain because India, on the back of Virat Kohli, managed to get enough runs and scrape home. But it was our bowling that let us down, Peter Siddle in particular. And then in the final match, we just didn't get enough runs. We got to 230-odd. Um, India made it probably look harder than what it needed to be. But there was some good bowling in parts. Um, but it was Dhoni again. Dhoni in each of the games had a massive impact and his experience and his cool head got India over the line um, and won them the series, which was well-deserved in the end. But Australia had its chances. It just didn't take them and it made the wrong decisions at the wrong times. So the big hits out of that um, one-day international series uh, were Sean Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis and Jai Richardson. I've got them all as the stars of the show. The misses. Aaron Finch. He has had an Annis Horribilis type of summer that you almost cannot come back from. He has a made runs in the test format. 
And then in the one-day format, he's just struggled to even score. There's obviously a deficiency with technique. When he's in form, it's obviously less noticeable. But when he's out of form, it is critiqued to the nth degree. And that is why. Um, unfortunately, it may cost him a World Cup spot, which is absolutely horrible to think. I hope it doesn't because I think in the one-day format, he's got a lot to offer. Um, not so much in the test arena, but in the one-day format, and it would be um, very harsh on him if it does. Siddle didn't work. I don't know why they brought back a player that hasn't really taken one day wickets based on T20 form where he bowls four overs as opposed to 10. They dropped the JLT tournament uh, player of the tournament in Andrew, well, bowler of the tournament in Andrew Ty. Um, I, I just don't understand that reasoning. Andrew Ty is a very, very adept bowler at both one day level and T20 level and should be in both formats, and yet he was ditched. Kawaja didn't have his best series. Um, got out twice with spinners, and then, <laughs> just to top it off, was run out by a spinner. So spinners had an impact on all three dismissals. Um, I don't know whether he ever gets out to a paceman, but he definitely gets out to spinners, does Uzi. Uh, Nathan Lyon, unfortunately, that experiment didn't work. They have to stick with Adam Zamper, I think, going forward. Um, for whatever reason, Lyon just... Doesn't work in the one-day format. As much as I'd love him to, stick to tests because he is the GOAT. And obviously the red ball seems to be agreeing with him more than the white ball. Even though he was initially selected way, way back for his test debut based on his T20 form, funnily enough. And Billy Stanlake. Big Billy. Um, big raps for him. I think he's got tremendous talent. Loads of potential. But he's just horribly out of form. He's bowling short. He's trying to bowl too quick. He's bowling too short. He's bowling too wide. Didn't work in the. It's not working the BBL with the strikers, and it's not working at one day level. So he needs to go back. Just focus on the basics. Maybe even slow down a couple of k's, and just rein it in a bit. Focus on that line and length. At two meters tall, he's got all the attributes to be absolutely barnstorming like Berendorf uh, when Berendorf gets it right. But he just needs to focus a bit more, I think, Billy. I think he's a bit too young and a bit raw. But this will be good for him. If he can come through it and come through the other side, he'll be a much better player. So the one-day series didn't quite go to plan um, for us, unfortunately. <clears throat> so I'll come back after the break. I'll discuss the um, topic of the youth coming through and the Big Bash and a few of the players that are uh, doing well in the Big Bash that perhaps... Um, yeah, it's baffling as to why they're not playing uh, for higher honours. So I'll be back after the break. All right, welcome back. And now just going to move towards the uh, Big Bash and how that's been going. Um, the Hurricanes and the Sixers playing right now and uh, Wade and Short definitely showed why, again, uh, with another 50 partnership, why, again, they were um, they are doing so well and why they're part of the Hurricanes Superb um, season so far. Uh, hopefully they go on to uh, bigger and uh, better things. Um, but Darcy Short's one which has got me mystified. I think he's worth persisting with at an ODI level. And I don't understand why he was dropped uh, from the one days. I understand why Chris Lynn was dropped. It's a bit of a different story. I think Chris Lynn can limit you a bit in the field with his dodgy shoulder. Well, his million-dollar shoulder, um, given uh, how crucial it is in IPL and in T20 with how hard he hits the ball. 
But I think in the field, you lack a bit. Whereas Darcy Short can bat, bowl, field, he can do it all. Uh, something that Scott Muller couldn't do in the late 90s, early 2000s, according to Warnie. Couldn't bat, couldn't bowl, couldn't field. Um, but I think Darcy Short brings that. And I'd, I'd rather see them persist with him ahead of the World Cup. And I think he could he could play a real vital role at the top of the order. Um, again, Matty Wade, uh, don't really need to say too much more on that. But Alex Carey um, didn't quite have a the one-day series he would have hoped, but I think you'd persist with Alex Carey and Wade would have to come in as a batsman only, which wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. Um, so the Hurricanes are going really well, although they are struggling tonight. They're going to need to take a few wickets to pull the Sixers back here. Uh, they did make 173, but the Sixers are absolutely flying. Um, but I do like the Hurricanes' balance. Um, they've got Joffrey Archer, they've got James Faulkner and Riley Meredith as the pace bowlers. Uh, Meredith and Archer really give it that, that pace and that X-factor element. Jimmy Faulkner, obviously, unfortunately, he fell down the um, pecking order behind Marsh and Stoinis. And, geez, I'd love to see him get back to the form that uh, gave him a test in the Ashes because he was um, brilliant with the bat and ball. And I'd, I'd love to see him given another opportunity, but I don't think it'll happen. I think he's focused too much now on uh, T20 cricket and I'd love to see him in the one days but I think I don't think he'd get a spot ahead of Stoinis so um, perhaps his days are numbered there as well but the finisher uh, as he showed still still got life at the bat and definitely got life of the ball in the last game against the Scorchers with his uh, three for um, three wickets at the top of the order and then his uh, 20 runs off the final over to win it for the uh, Hurricanes against the Scorchers the other night Um then they've got Clive Rose and uh, Johan Bother as the spinners to sort of tie it up. So they've got really good balance. And in the batting lineup, they've got Wade and Short at the top, which is dynamic. You've got George Bailey in the middle, Ben McDermott. Um, it's just got a lot of balance about it, which I like. And uh, both can bat, um, as can Faulkner. So they've got that all. They've got the all-rounders. They've got the spinners. They've got the pace, and they've got the batsmen to do the damage. So my money's on the Hurricanes to win it overall. As for who I like behind that, the Melbourne Stars with the return of Stoinis and Maxwell and Hanscom. Um, really, really, and I, look, I should have I actually overlooked Hanscom. Hanscom had a brilliant one-day international series, batted really, really well, and perhaps the freedom of the the white ball has um, freed him up a bit because he looked really good. And look, to be fair, I think he was a bit stiff. He had a he um, batted well in that final test, and if it wasn't for um, the rain delays, we may have seen a bit more, and he may have been able to save his spot. But I think he might have turned the corner a bit. So I think he should be in and around the discussion, Peter Hanscom. And his one-day form warrants um, definitely staying in the one-day side. And he's um, playing really well for the Melbourne Stars as well. So Peter Hanscom, along with Marcus Toynis and Glenn Maxwell, give the Melbourne Stars, surprisingly enough, star power. Um, If they can get their bowling right, the Melbourne Stars could be a bit of a smoky and could finally deliver a title when... uh, Perhaps they didn't look like doing it. With uh, There was times when they had Kevin Peterson, you thought they were going to win the whole thing, and they never did. But maybe the stars, pardon the pun, are starting to align, and they could win it. The other two I like in the mix, Sydney Sixers, as they're showing tonight, the batting's not that bad. Um, on the back of Young Guns, Josh Felipe uh, and Jordan Silk, they've got a bit of batting. They've got a bit of wily old caginess in Moises Henriques. 
Um, they've also got James Vince, the Englishman, um, who can uh, who can bat a bit. Their bowling department, they've got probably the best T20 bowler at the moment in Tom Curran, mixing it up both ways. Uh, and he can also bat lower down the... Uh, if, if things start to get hairy, he can bat lower down the order. And uh, he can bat uh, extremely well as well. So the Sixers could be a bit of a smoky um, going going forward. They've also got the uh, the youngster um, Lloyd Pope. They've got Stephen O'Keefe. So they've got a bit of spin. Uh, they've got the pace of Curran. They've got uh, Sean Abbott in there as well. So um, the Sixers could be a bit of a smoky. And the other one is I've always... And look, they've got a few games coming up at home, and I've always liked them. Um, at their home, and that's the Perth Scorchers. They are bottom of the ladder right now, and they will need things to go their right way, but um, the Scorchers are definitely one to keep an eye on. I think if anyone can make it from the position they're in, it's the Perth Scorchers. Um, The bowling of Coulton Island, Ty, gives them some really attacking threat. Uh, They've got probably one of the best uh, one-day players out of the one-day side, uh, and also T20-wise in Ashton Turner. Um, Maxi Klinger's always solid, well, most of the time. Uh, they've got Cameron Bancroft back from suspension, and he's um, been scoring runs. So their balance is just as good as any other side going around, and they could uh, they could give it a real shake. Um, the sides I don't like, I don't like the Melbourne Renegades, even though they're up in second. They've played 11 games. I think they may just fall back to the pack a little bit. I don't know that they've got enough quality in their lineup to do the damage, despite the fact they've got Dan Christian. Um, the other thing is, is that they've got, um, yeah, Aaron Finch's back, so that may help them, but I just don't know that they've got enough star quality. The Adelaide Strikers, I can't see them defending their title now. I think it's too far gone. Uh, you got the likes of um, Weatherold, and he's been patchy at best. Same with Carey. Um, the bowlers haven't been as good. There's an over-reliance on Rashid Khan. Uh, and Ben Lachlan to do the job, and after that it falls away. And same with the batting, there's an over-reliance on Kerry, Weatherald, and Head when he's playing. Um, and if they don't get the job done, then again, uh, no one is. So uh, I think the strikers will struggle from here to make the finals. Um, Brisbane Heat, I think an over-reliance on... Max Bryant's been impressive. Um, Chris Lynn has had his moments. So has McCullum. But I think there's an over-reliance on Lynn to get the job done. And then I don't know that they've got enough in their bowling to uh, to finish off sides. Sydney Thunder, they've got some real good young players. They've got some real old heads in Watson. They can perform on their day, but I'm not sure that they've got enough. So it's really, it's the four sides I've said that can, that can do the job. And the Sixers are really showing tonight that they could be a real threat. Um... And the Melbourne Stars uh, are probably the one which are going to come. And um, especially, they've also got Dwayne Bravo as well, not to probably one of the most famous T20 players around the world. So it's heating up. The only thing I have I don't like about this BBL season is it's just much like this podcast, going too long. It should be finals time. In the last two years it has been. And it's made it much more interesting. I think it's going too long. I think they've overcooked it. They've obviously tried to make too much money uh, or trying to cash in on it. Um, and it might be working. It might not. It'll be, it remains to be seen. So we, it'll be uh, interesting to see the figures that come out after this season and see whether they persist with this um, or whether they go revert back to the nine and or the eight, nine, ten games for the season. 
that it uh, that it was before rather than the 14 and then the finals. So at that, I'll stop on the BBL. For time to turn the focus to the youth. And uh, it was a good point by, um, by our loyal, one of our loyal listeners in Anthony. Um, to see what's coming through. Obviously, we know about Will Pekoski now. Um, he was one I wanted at the start of the summer, but then he had his mental health issues um, after scoring that massive, massive ton. Um, uh, sorry, massive ton, massive double ton. He scored a massive ton the season before when he was only 19. So he's obviously a prodigious talent, which we will see a lot more of. The only hope is that he doesn't get too many more concussions or that could really play a uh, part in his career going forward and not in a good way. The other ones that we forgot to mention, you've got um, all that we mentioned earlier, but obviously you didn't hear it. Um, Jason Sanger, uh, under-19 uh, captain for Australia, um, he's put together quite a dossier of performances. Um, done reasonably well for the Sydney Thunder in the Big Bash. He did produce a century earlier in the season in the Sheffield Shield, so he's definitely worth persisting with. Um, Josh Felipe, who's having an absolutely barnstorming performance tonight for the Sydney Sixers and has played a few of these innings throughout the tournament. Um, the Western Australian, he can really perform as well. And he's young, so there's there's a bit of talent coming through. Max Bryant for the um, Brisbane Heat. Again, if he can get some game time with the, um, with the Queensland Bulls in the Sheffield Shield and see how he progresses from there. He's also 19. Sam Harper um, played a few games for Victoria. If he can really push on as well, another one. Austin War, son of Steve. Love to see how he... If he can push into the New South Wales lineup because I think he's got some talent to burn. And much like his old man can also bowl a bit, having taken uh, the wicket of David Warner in grade cricket earlier in the season um, when Warner and Smith were playing in the New South Wales grade cricket when they were getting crowds of two to 5,000. Austin War took his wicket. So obviously got talent like his old man with bat and with ball. Um, Jake, uh, Jack Edwards as well and... Uh, he's got a bit of talent with the bat, also scored a shield ton. So there's a little bit with the batting. Um, bowling department's got a bit as well. You've got Brennan Doggett, who's been in and around the setup. Riley Meredith can also uh, bowl a bit from what we've seen in the Big Bash. Uh, Will Sutherland is one I really like the look of, if he can stay fit. But at the moment, he reminds me a bit of Pattinson, just can't get his body right. But he's prodigious talent, also son of uh, former... Uh, Cricket Australia CEO, James Sutherland. That's why you know the name. Lloyd Pope, obviously, is the one that's talked about the most, along with Pekoski. Uh, the leg spinner, any leg spinner that's got talent, we're going to compare to Shane Warne. And Lloyd Pope definitely burst onto the scene with his World Cup performance, where he took eight wickets against England in the Under-19 World Cup last year. Uh, and then he, obviously, in the Shield season, this season, he took a fifer uh, in his first couple of games. But since then, it's just fallen away a little bit. But he has started to hit some form again in the Big Bash, um, taking a few wickets. So Lloyd Pope's one to watch out for. Cameron Green over in the West. They seem to just churn out um, fast bowlers over in the West. Uh, he's one to really uh, look out for. He um, takes wickets. His average is very good. Um, quick as well, hard to handle. But you've got a production line over there. You've got Andrew Ty, you've got Coulter Nile, you've got Berendorf, you've got David Moody, you've got Matthew Kelly, you've got Cameron Green. Uh, it's just a absolute 
uh, Jai Richardson as well. So they're all coming out of the West. So I'd be interested to see how he um, progresses and uh, Mickey Edwards in New South Wales as well. So um, there's a few bowlers around the traps that can do the that can do some damage. So our youth is coming through. It's just going to take a bit of time, but we've just got to harness it in the right way and get the right coaching and development to them. So that's going to be the main thing. Well, look, it's going to be 45 degrees in Adelaide tomorrow. And look, it possibly could get even hotter than that. So I'm looking forward to the day-night test because uh, as soon as I get home from work, I'll be putting it on. And um, it's uh, nothing better than a day-night test. And there is rumours that there could be a two-test series next year against Pakistan and both of them to be day-nighters. And I think going forward, I think day-night tests are the way to go. Uh, definitely provides more for the um, more for the bowlers and uh, definitely a challenging challenging um, format. Even though test challenge uh, test cricket is challenging enough at the moment for Australia, why not make it even more challenging with day night test cricket? So I bid you farewell and once again apologies that our first podcast did not upload and we're absolutely shattered about it. But uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this one and we'll be back with you very shortly. Um, probably our next one will be with the Premier League. Uh, but hopefully, as Haydos said before, Australia gets a win and uh, we can uh, get a uh, great test from the day-night test at the Gabba. So I'll be looking forward to that, as you all will be as well. So I bid you farewell for now and we'll see you uh, and hear you next time. And just to um, come back to one other thing, just going to go through the just a quick leading wicket taker, leading run scorer um, for the series and a player of the series. So I'm going to go with uh, the new guy, uh, Curtis Patterson, for um, leading run scorer. And I'm also going to go with um, the leading wicket taker. I'm going to go with Jai Richard. I'm going to go with the debutante duo for both, and uh, yeah, that's that's where I sort of lie, and player of the series, I'm going to give to Curtis Patterson, in stunning form, and can bat time, so I think, and has a superb record against the big ball, I think he really can be a uh, inspired inclusion by selectors after initially overlooking him. In terms of uh, Hayden's selections, he had Marcus Harris, uh, for leading run scorer. And he had Mitchell Stark to get the most wickets. And I think he backed uh, Mitchell Stark for player of the series. To bounce back a bit, perhaps the uh, rest doing him well. So that's where we sort of sat with the Test Series. And uh, unlike the Indian Series, uh, I'm definitely going to need um, to study up on my Sri Lankan. I definitely don't know as much. So we, we're going to go with Chandamal as our <laughs> leading run scorer, maybe leading wicket taker, um, as Angelo Matthews is out and he would have been our inspired selection. So we need to study up a bit on our Sri Lankan and... And uh, hopefully the day-night uh, day test in Brisbane will give us a chance to do that. And uh, it could be a bit um, bit of a tricky test series with Sri Lanka. Just, just a little bit. Just, um, it could be a series that Australia is expected to win, but Sri Lanka makes it a lot more difficult um, than, what it, uh, than what it should be. So, and they did play reasonably well over in New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. So just wanted to finish off with that last bit. Um, just in our leading run scorers, uh, leading wicket takers and player of the series. So we'll catch you next time on the Sporting Ones podcast.